Man, that's an ugly cat. We have any cat people in the room? Better question is, we have any dog people in the room? The majority as it should be. Y'all know the difference between cat and dogs? Dogs see you as their master, and they're like, huh, you feed me, you clean me, you take care of me, you must be God. Cats are like, huh, you feed me, you clean me, you take care of me, I must be God. (laughs) Isn't that a good one? You've probably heard Van say that before, so now you know where he got it from. Just kidding. I got it from him. So I'm Luke. Super excited to be with you all this morning. Let's open up our Bibles to Luke 5. Open up or scroll if you have a glow-in-the-dark Bible. I want to read a passage out of Luke. This is early on in Jesus' ministry. He has interacted with the Apostle Peter a couple times, but has not yet called him to be one of his disciples. And Peter is actually still named Simon at this point. If you know anything about Jesus, you know one of his favorite things is to change people's names. And Simon was one of those. So let's read verses 1 through 5 out of Luke 5. 1. Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God... He was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Thank you, YouTube, for the pronunciation on that one. (laughs) And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we have worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. So Peter had been fishing all night long. Now that wasn't because he was a night person. That was for a reason. If you know anything about the Middle East, you know that it's super hot there. And the heat heats up the water, and the fish don't like hot water, so they swim to shaded areas or to the really deep water. And during the day, when it's the hottest, the fishing is the worst. So they would fish at night. So Peter has fished all night long. Talk about hard work. And not only that, but they didn't even get anything, so he's demoralized also. And they get done fishing, they get their boat back on shore, they do all of the work they have to do at the end of a fish, cleaning the nets and everything. And just when Peter is ready to probably go home and get some sleep, he looks over and Jesus, this guy who he's met a couple of times, is like in his boat and saying, hey Peter, come here, push me out so I can preach. And uh, so Peter does it, walks over and uh, I don't know, has to wait probably an hour or an hour and a half, however long it takes Jesus to preach. You know, if Jesus preached like the same amount of time that Will or I usually do, it'd probably be about a half hour, 45 minutes. 
Van, on the other hand, probably an hour, hour 15. Whatever it is, Peter, super tired, sweaty, probably smells like fish. Yeah, everyone's face was like, ugh, fish smell. And just waiting to probably go home, and Jesus is preaching. And then finally, Jesus gets done, and Peter's ready to go home. And Jesus is like, hey, Peter, I got an idea. What if you went out and fished right now and went to the deep water and put your nets in and get some fish? How's that sound? And this is funny to me. It's hilarious to me because Jesus was a carpenter while Peter was the expert fisherman. And Jesus, the carpenter, is trying to give fishing advice to Peter or to Simon, the fisherman. You ever had someone try to give you advice on your area of expertise when they know very little? You know, it's like an insult to your intelligence. It is for me. Or it's kind of like when I lose my wallet or my keys, there'll be a person, there's always one, who so innocently walks up to me and they want to help me out. And they say to me, hey, Luke, um, did you look at the last place that you had it? And I kind of give them that like slow head turn. Did I look the last place that I had it? No, I didn't do that. Who would think to look at the last place you had something when you can't find it? And so I want to suggest there's some of that going on between Jesus and Peter. Not to mention the fact that this is bad fisherman's advice. Like, yeah, maybe the fish would be in the deep water, but the whole point is that the nets can't go down deep enough to get to them. And it's during the day. The good fishing hours are at night. But what's amazing to me about this passage is that is Peter's response. Master, we have worked hard all night long, but if you say so, I will let down the nets. You have someone in your life who, no matter what you think about a situation, you tell them, if you say so, I'll do it. If you say so, I won't do it. I had someone like that in my life three weeks ago. His name was Ken. If you didn't know already, last week of September, I actually went on a week-long trip with my dad to Newfoundland. It was a hunting trip for moose. And to give you some context to this, I need to take you all the way back to my dad's childhood. See, my dad kind of in his first couple years of life was like any other kid, had parents and um, lived in upstate New York where hunting and fishing and trapping are very prevalent, very popular. And so he's growing up in New York, but at age six, things change totally. When he was six, his dad, in a swimming pool accident, fell off a ladder and broke his neck. He became a quadriplegic and has not had feeling from his shoulders down since then. Two years after that, my dad's parents split up. His mom just couldn't take it anymore. And so at age eight, my dad is having to learn how to take care of his dad. And you know, some of you in here are probably learning what it's like or learning that you have to take care of your parents in some way or another at this point. Maybe you're in your 50s or 60s or 70s, but imagine doing it at age eight. 
while his, all of his other friends were learning how to hunt and fish and trap and play sports from their dads, he's taking care of his. And so my, grand, my, my great-grandparents, my dad's grandparents, actually ended up moving in a little while after that. And my dad's grandfather quickly became his father figure. And one of the things that my dad admired the most about his grandfather was that his grandfather would go on these moose hunting trips to Canada each week, or sorry, each week, each year, and bring back tons of moose meat and have like this free dinner for everyone in the community. It was a really cool thing. My dad always dreamed of getting to go on a moose hunt like that, but the, the funds were never there. It's pretty expensive to fly up to Canada and do that, not to mention buying the tag for it. So my dad never got to see that dream fulfilled. And my dad went into ministry in his 20s and 30s. And I can tell you from personal experience that a moose hunting trip is not in a ministry budget, not even close. And so he never was able to go at that age. Finally, when he turned 50, he had, he had come into the business world being led by God and he got to go moose hunting and got his first moose. Uh, my grand, my great-grandfather, his grandfather passed away at that point, but my dad had used his gun to kind of honor him. And then three years later, my dad asked me if I wanted to go. And that was three weeks ago. And so we went to Newfoundland together. And he was allowing me to experience the dream that he had never got to experience when he was younger. And it was kind of like his way of experiencing it, in a sense. So we go up to Newfoundland, Canada, and we had a guide named Ken, like I mentioned earlier. Ken was an expert moose hunter. Ken had been hunting this land since he was 14. He's in his 50s now. And he had been guiding other hunters since he was 18. And so he knew this land like the back of his hand. He was an expert in all things concerning moose hunting. And we actually paid a little bit of extra money to get Ken. He's the owner of the outfitting agency that we were at, not just one of the hired hands. And so we get there, and the terrain of Newfoundland is so beautiful. I think we have a picture of it, maybe. And there's just like these mountains. You can kind of see the mountain ridge back there. There's these 1,000-foot, 500-foot mountains all around, and there's these big valleys and huge lakes and swamps all in between and such. And uh, the lodge that we are staying at was actually at the top of one of these 1,000-foot mountains or so. And that's kind of like our home base for the hunt. And so we would hop on four-wheelers and ATVs, and we would drive on these like rocky mountain roads that went all around. You couldn't take a car on them, maybe a truck, with four-wheel drive, but it would, some of the paths got too narrow even for that. And so it's the first day. It's our first hunt. We're excited. We go out 6.30 in the morning or so, and we hop into Ken's ATV, and we're driving around. And from that experience, I was able to see just how, just from that, just from driving, I was able to see how much of an expert Ken really was. You know, it's not really the big things that people do, that allow you to know they're an expert. It's like those subtle, small things. 
And on these roads, there were these tall trees on either side, so you couldn't really see out too far, except every once in a while when there was a clearing. And whenever we got to a clearing, Ken had all of them memorized. He would stop there, he'd shut off the ATV, get his binoculars out, and just look. You could see, usually for like thousands of yards in those clearings. There's a ton of other stuff that he did that just really showed him to be an expert. And so the first day, I actually end up getting my moose in the first hour of that day. So that was pretty cool. Second day, I'm still going out with my dad. Could have slept in if I wanted to, but wanted to be out with him. We each were able to get one and no more than one, and I wanted to be with him when he got his. And so second day we go out, we see some, but we don't actually get any. Third day we go out, and we're excited, and uh, we're very hopeful, and we're driving on the ATV, and we get to this spot about, after driving for about 15 minutes called the TV screen, and they called it the TV screen because from this spot, you could see for like miles. Like in fact, from this spot, you could see the furthest of any other spot on the mountain. So we stop at the TV screen, Ken gets out, he has his binoculars, and he's scanning the area. He's scanning the area. And all of a sudden, he spots a bull moose like about a mile away in this field. He's like, guys, you see one? There's one right there. We're going after that one. And so we start following his orders. My dad and I, we could have never gotten to that field on our own. Going straight down the mountain wasn't an option. We simply did not know the land. But Ken, like I said, knew where every single trail was. And so we drive about another half mile down the mountain road, and we stop at this and, and on the side of the road, there's this clearing, this like really small clearing that we, I would have missed if I were looking. And we stop there and it's, all right, this is it. Get out, get your stuff, let's go. And so we get out and we're walking down this trail. There's big boulders and every once in a while I step and it goes down to my knee. And it's like really rough terrain. And we walk for what feels like five miles, probably was half a mile, I want to guess, Walk for a long time, we get to a field, and I recognize the field we're in is actually connected to the field that we'd seen the bull moose in. So we walk through that field, and we get to another field. We're constantly going uphill, so we can't see super far out, but we know we're in the right spot. Get to a third field, we can see into one adjacent to it, and there he is, the bull moose still standing there where he'd been 15 minutes earlier. And so we keep walking, but we're kind of creeping up on him more now, being a lot more careful. But when we get about 400 yards away, this bull moose sees us. And moose, they're not quite as skittish as deer. Like if that was a deer, it would have bolted right away. But for moose, they're a lot more like independent and kind of arrogant. And so he saw us, but he kind of just like walked behind this tree. And uh, we felt like he was going to run away at any point. But, uh, but he was still there. And so this is where Ken really showed that he was an expert. He looked back at my dad and I, and he said, uh, Jerry, crouch down, and I want you to stay really close behind me. Luke, I want you to crouch down, and you to stay really close behind your dad. And he stood straight up. He had this like black long sleeve shirt on. And he took this tripod that he was carrying. It was about this high, three legs. We used it to shoot and he turns it upside down. 
and we're walking, and he's moving the tripod back and forth like this as we're walking. And you can kind of tell he's, we're like imitating a moose at this point. And we're walking up, and I guess it worked because the bull, he didn't uh, run away, and he kind of walked out from behind the tree. And as we're walking, Ken is making moose calls. Like he, he like could make his voice sound exactly like a moose. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> YouTube it. But we're, we're walking, we're creeping up. We get about 250 yards away or so, put the tripod down. My dad puts his gun down and he gets his bull moose. The two of us are done hunting th- on the third morning. We could have went for five days. And it's a super exciting, joyful moment. I know it was especially meaningful for my dad to uh, be out there with his son doing something that he probably wished his dad could have done with him. And he actually, uh, I look over and he's got both hands up in the air, like jumping up and down. And uh, if you knew my dad, that is shocking in and of itself. And then I, the thought went through my mind, I'd probably have a heart attack if I saw him doing that during worship. He loves Jesus, but not his style. And then I thought, you know what? If hunting or a sporting event or anything else could cause us to put both hands up in the air and jump up and down, worshiping God should be able to get that out of us too, you know? But anyways, and so we walk up to the moose and we go to get our, my dad's iPad to take pictures and get a video. And then we realize that in the heat of the pursuit, we had left the backpack with that stuff in it about 800 yards back. So we had a choice. Do we go without videos and pictures or do we go back and get it? We devised a plan. Ken would stay with the moose. My dad and I would make our way back to where the stuff was. We couldn't see it from where we were, but we were pretty confident we could get back there. And so we walk 100 yards and we realize that our confidence was a mistake because my dad and I are both directionally challenged to the maximum. And about 400, so we're, we're walking, we're still walking. We think we know where we're going, but we follow this trail and it kind of leads us up this hill and we're walking up this hill and all of a sudden we get to this big pond. We look at each other and we're like, do you remember a pond? <laughs> no. And so there was no pond when we were on our way there and we were obviously not going the right way. And so Ken's about 400 yards away at this point and we can't really talk to him or have a conversation with him. So we turn around and we're thinking, okay, we'll walk back the way we came and then maybe go 100 yards to the right or 100 yards to the left and try going backwards more that way. And so we take about 20 steps and all of a sudden we hear Ken like, like yelling from the distance. And we're like, what? He's, and then he yells something again. All we can hear is, go back. And we look around behind us. Okay, that's where the pond was. So we mean like, you mean this way? And we like start walking forward. He's like, stop, go back. What do you, and so we're like, what do you, like this way? He's like, go back. And my dad, he's getting frustrated at this point. And he's like, what do you mean go back? And uh, he's like, go back. 
And uh, so eventually my dad is like super frustrated and he's like, I'm just going this way. And he just starts walking to the right. And you hear Ken yelling in the background, like, oh, no, no, no. And I was like, well, I don't know what to do. What am I going to do? And so I'm standing there, and all of a sudden, the thought occurs to me, like, Ken knows this land. He's the expert. Every single thing he's told us to do before this has been the right thing to do. So I don't really know how it could possibly be that way, but I'm just going to turn around and start walking. And so I just turned around, went off the trail, and started walking up this hill. And I was kind of disoriented. I'm not sure how, but it seemed like the top of this hill was like, had these tall trees that were impassable. But as I'm walking up this hill, I get to the top of it, and I see our bags about 100 yards in front of us. So I'm like, hey, Dad, come on. He comes over, and he's still mad. And... <laughs> We get our bags, and we're walking back, and he's using a few choice words, and, you know, went from excitement to anger, just like that. And it takes him getting all the way back to our moose for him to totally calm down. And then he's excited again, and it's happy again. And we uh, take some pictures. I video him, and he's sharing in the video all the people he's thankful for, thanking Ken. And then he chokes up towards the end of the video. I never see my dad cry. But he chokes up, and he's like, this one was for you, Grandpa. I know that you can see me from up there. I know you're proud of me. Real just precious moment with my dad. And around that time, right after that, this thought occurred to me. I was thinking about how we had that, I was thinking that same thought I had thought before. Ken had never led me wrong. We have obeyed everything he's told us to do to this point. And it's ended out for the better. But then when he was telling me to do something that didn't make so much sense to me, I couldn't see why it could be true. I started to doubt and hesitate. And I realized, how often do I do that with God? How often do I get in a habit of obeying him when it makes sense and see the fruit from that and see how I really can trust him But then when he asks me to do something that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, that's when I start to doubt him and hesitate and not move. You know, I feel like uh, Peter understood that the kind of obedience that Jesus wanted. Even though Jesus was giving him an order that made little sense, was even insulting. He says, we've worked all night long, we've caught nothing, but if you say so, I will let down the nets. I think that's the kind of obedience that Jesus wants. I don't think he wants us to always totally understand exactly why he's telling us to do something. I think that part of trusting him is obeying him, especially when we don't understand why he's telling us to do something. Because if we only obey him when it makes perfect sense to us, then we're not really trusting God, we're trusting our own understanding. If it makes sense to me, then I'll do it. If not, it must not be God. Second thing I remember thinking is, you know, Ken was so far away, he couldn't really give us a thorough explanation as to why going back was the right plan. All he could really get out was go back. And I think God also, a lot of times, 
He wants us to obey without us having to get a thorough explanation. Like he wants us to obey just because he said it. And a lot of times I think we're not going to have that thorough explanation. And so those two things really struck me. And from that I started thinking, what are my most four common excuses for avoiding obedience when it doesn't make sense to me? And I just want to share with you the four things that I came up with. The first one is, I'm not going to obey because I fully understand this situation. And what I feel like God is telling me to do clearly isn't right, given my full understanding. So must not be God, and I'm not going to do it. And you know, I think that the more, the longer I follow Jesus, the more I realize that I don't have the full understanding of a lot of situations and shows me how much I need to listen to his voice and hear him. Because sometimes I might think that, well, given my perspective, this is the right choice or given my perspective, this is the wrong choice. When in reality, my perspective is distorting what I should really be, what God is really calling me to do and only way I can do the right thing is by simply trusting him and obeying without getting a thorough explanation. Second thing for me is, I've tried this before and it didn't work, so God couldn't be telling me to do this. I failed at this, and so since I failed once, never again am I going to try it. You know, I think that God a lot of times wants us to do things we failed at before. And I bet you that a lot of times, the first time we try to do something, the reason we don't succeed is because we are trying to do it out of our own effort rather than trusting in him. And he's like, okay, you're going to do it again now. But this time, you're going to trust me with it. Third thing for me, this is one that I have, I, it's been true for me plenty of times. It's also true for me a lot when I'm talking with people. Let me give you a scenario. A lot of times, somebody will come into my office or I'll get into a conversation with someone and they'll be telling me about this decision that they are going to make or that they have already made and they'll be telling me it and the whole time I'll just be thinking, idiot, 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 idiot. That's stupid. That's a bad plan. And then I'll actually respond and I'll be like, so, oh, thanks for sharing that. That's awesome. Um, What do you think the wise components are of this? And what do you think maybe some of the unwise components are of this? Or something like that. And a lot of times the person I'm talking to will be like, yeah, you know, I see how it could be um, not the right decision, but it's okay. God told me that this is the right thing to do. I prayed about it and this is what I should do. God told me it. And I don't know about all of you, but that strikes a weird chord in me every time that I hear it, every time I hear myself saying it. It seems like this strange attitude. And I think I put my finger on what it is. I think that one thing that we fail to take into consideration as we are praying on something personally is the ways of thinking that are formed in our minds that are not, um, that are not in line with God. You know, the the Bible calls those strongholds in 2 Corinthians 10. Strongholds are a result of us believing a lie and thus giving the enemy 
access to our mind in some way because we have a way of thinking that is contrary to knowing God. And then we can actually hear thoughts from the enemy and not from God in our minds. And so to give you a practical example of this, if I myself am thinking, hmm, should I join this growth group? And I've internalized this lie of, oh, whenever I join something new, no one's going to accept me. People are going to reject me. And then I'm praying about it. God, should I join this growth group? And I hear, no, you shouldn't. You'll just be rejected. You know, that's not God. And so I think, but what I don't want to be saying is that praying is not a good way to hear the voice of God for yourself. Praying is the best way to hear the voice of God for yourself. So what's the balance? Well, I think the balance of this is that we have to have people, trusted, mature Christians in our lives who we allow to veto our decisions sometimes. You know, in Ephesians 5, Paul says, submit to one another, one another out of reverence for Christ. Another way said, part of revering Christ is submitting to a human being. You can't fully revere Jesus if you're not giving another human authority over you. It makes sense. You know, if I don't submit to any human, if there is no person that can have any kind of authority over my life, how am I going to expect to submit to God in a healthy way? If you can't submit to a person, you probably can't submit to God. And so we need those people who can tell us, hey, I see what you're thinking and there's some validity there, but here's why that's a bad plan. We need those people. Another reason I don't like the God told me it's okay thing, I prayed about it, is that a lot of times when we go to pray take something in prayer to God, I'm guilty of this, we start praying already knowing in our heart what we want and are going to do. And so we're kind of just like praying about it so we can check off a box. I don't know if you do that. I do that a lot of times. And so when we pray, when we go to pray about something in that way, God's probably just like, all right, what you do, do. Do it. Because we've already decided in our hearts. And so we need people in our lives. And really, we shouldn't make any major life decision without consulting another human being. That's just a smart idea. A lot of times our perspective isn't full on something, and we need someone who can tell us, hey, that's not the right way. Fourth thing I realized, common excuse for me, is I need to focus on what's really important to me. So God can't be telling me to do that. You know, this can be family, this can be personal rest. I remember talking with a guy one time, and, this, and again, all of these that I'm sharing are ones that I have been totally guilty of. I remember talking to a guy one time, and he had this ministry that he committed to, but he was really thinking about scaling back and stepping down majorly. And I asked him, well, why are you doing that? And he's like, well, it's taken a lot of my time and I'm really afraid that my relationship with my son is suffering because of this. And so I really feel like I need to totally step back. I'm afraid. And I'm not a parent, and so I couldn't give him advice in that way. But I have learned a couple things about hearing the voice of God. And so I started to ask him questions like, okay, man, well, um, 
have you prayed about this at all? And he's like, oh, no, I haven't prayed about it at all. I'm like, so what's your primary motivation here? He's like, well, I'm just scared. I'm afraid that my relationship with my son is being hurt by this. I'm like, okay, man, well, God may very well be calling you to step back, but if fear is your primary motivator here, how do you think that's going to benefit your son? Even if you do spend more time with him, if fear is the thing that led you to do it, it's kind of pointless. God never uses fear or anxiety to motivate us. So if, if I'm making a major life decision based on fear or stress or anxiety, then it's the wrong choice. And maybe I will, maybe I'll pray about it and God will confirm it, but then I'm being motivated by his voice, not by his voice. By that, I mean Satan's voice. And so we, uh, and so I, I was talking with him and, and he's like, okay, yeah, I haven't prayed about it. And uh, I was like, and this is something that came out of me in the moment. I'd never heard myself say this before, but I was like, you know what, dude? Um, God may be calling you to scale back from the ministry and focus on your son in that way. But if he isn't, then what you have to believe is that you continuing to do what he's calling you to do is the best thing for your relationship with your son. That following God's voice, no matter what that means, is the best thing for the rest of the, of the aspects of our life. That's why I said, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and everything else will be added to you. It's a really strange mystery, but when we put God above everything else, he goes before us in all of those things and prepares the way and, and forms those important parts of our life in such a way that we never could have on our own. And part of that is just trusting him even though it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us in the moment. So those are four excuses that I've used. And I think that all of them are rooted not so much in that I don't want to do what God is saying, but that I'm not sure if God is actually saying it or not. I mean, let's all be honest. If every morning we woke up and painted on our bedroom wall was our to-do list from God every day, do this, don't do that, do this, it'd be pretty easy to obey him. But a lot of times the hard part is actually discerning what he's saying. And so I want to give you all four ways to discern the voice of God that I use personally. I think it's very valuable. And the first one is through prayer, personal prayer. Like I said, this is the best way, I think, to hear the voice of God. Even though you should have another human being speaking into you, I do not want to discount this at all. Second thing is scripture. So maybe you pray about something and you don't get a clear answer. Maybe you're thinking, hey, should I stop meeting up with my brothers and sisters in Christ weekly? You open to Hebrews 10, says, do not neglect meeting up with one another with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay, that's the answer. I should not do that. Third thing, if you pray about it, if you go to the Bible, but you don't feel like you get any solid answer, this is where mature Christians, trusted advisors come into play, giving someone authority over your life. This is where you ask them, hey, what do you think? I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking about that. What do you think? And they might say, yeah, it's awesome. Go for it. Or they might say, I see why you're thinking that, but have you considered this? Last thing 
it's okay if you go through those first three and you don't get a clear answer of what you're supposed to do to simply consider the circumstances. Where are the doors open? Where are the doors closed? You know, a lot of times when someone comes to me and they say, hey, and here, they say, uh, I um, want to do this thing that I feel like God is telling me to do, but if I do this, then it compromises my job, my time with my significant other, my rest, whatever, in such a way that I just can't do. I'm like, okay, well, how about this? Give it two weeks and see if God opens the door. If he does, great. If not, at least you stepped out in faith and you can kind of know that maybe it's not the right season for you to commit to that. So circumstances are okay also. And I think the point of all of this is that sometimes God is going to call us to do things that don't make a lot of sense to us. In fact, that feel like the wrong thing to our hearts for some reason. And we have a choice whenever that happens. We can either like rationalize it away or maybe we can kind of modify what he said to suit us in a better way that makes more sense to us. Or we can totally disobey. Or we can simply turn around and just start taking one step after another. We might not even know where we're going. It might make zero sense to us. But not, I promise every time I've done, had a moment like that with God, nine times out of ten, I ended up where I was trying to get in the first place. And even the one time that I thought he was telling me to do something, I did it and it wasn't the right thing, he has more than enough love and grace to redeem that. Because he looks at our heart more so than our actual behaviors and actions. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we just want to follow you, whatever that means, wherever that takes us. We know, God, that you have an amazing plan for our life, that you long to bless us, to multiply our influence. And we understand, God, that sometimes that requires leaps of faith. So we ask for the courage and the strength and the wisdom to act when you're calling us to act, to remain when you're calling us to remain. In fact, I just release in Jesus' name wisdom to discern the will of God. We love you, Lord. It's your name we pray. Amen.